Thank you, church. Thank you, Pastor Farai. When he called me up and, uh, and he mentioned his name, I said, oh, I know you because you had a question I remember the day. <laughs> You were writing down, so that was good. No, I'm, I'm really honored to be here. And it's, uh, I actually have to say my brain is a little bit fried because I landed back in Amsterdam was about Wednesday morning, 8 o'clock, and then went straight through all these different meetings because a friend of mine st- uh, wants to start up a ministry called Life Rice to package food for hunger issues in the world where there is a storm or disaster to actually send help and aid you know to those different nations and he wants to actually start a distribute center right here in the netherlands and so we had one meeting after one meeting after one meeting and so i have not been able to uh, settle down and enjoy my dutch sandwich of cheese amen Uh, (laughs) uh, my name is john and i am married to my wife tamara we have uh, four children the oldest yeroa he's uh, 12. he has one goal in life and he wants to be a um, professional soccer player, missionary. Um, he said, you know, Dad, uh, we can't go any more missions into Europe. You know, uh, like in France, you can't even evangelize outside on the streets. So he said, you know, what we could do with soccer, Dad. So I want to be like those African soccer players that testify about Jesus. So that's his, his goal in life. I got another girl. She loves soccer too. She's eight. Uh, Jessie, and uh, she also is a soccer player. So I actually have nothing to do with soccer. It's not my gift. Uh, it's skipped somewhere. <coughs> so, but I got to get a little hang of the game. And you know, soccer teams are like a church. You know, it's kind of interesting. But um, yeah, so, they, so I'm actually at the soccer field uh, almost four times a week, which is kind of a bit of a sacrifice. But you know, everything for Jesus, right? We gotta suffer for Jesus at the soccer field. <laughs> Anyway, I got two other, girl, uh, two other children. My uh, uh, second daughter, her name is Yasia. She's five. She loves singing and dancing. And I got a little baby boy of two years old. Um, his name is JDL. And uh, he is our little, uh, you know, our, he's the son of our, he, he, we love him so much. He's crazy. And he loves to do crazy stuff. And I don't know where he got that part from, but I guess <laughs> it's from my brother's side. No, just kidding. But yeah, so I was in South Africa for the last two weeks, uh, uh, ministering, connecting, reconnecting. And actually, I have to tell you a little story that before I go to the word. Um, when I was invited with Pastor Peter Slabos, who is my senior pastor, to come to the RCCG uh, leadership conference, um, 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 my wife and I, we've been ministering in, uh, into Africa and especially South Africa for the last, I would say, 13 years. And the last three years, uh, we haven't gone because there's several reasons we actually had to um, yeah, hold back from ministering in Africa. So when I came in um, the, the conference in September, I stepped into this room and I actually have to tell you a little thing. There was a girl coming to me. She said, oh, I would love to go to Africa. I said, oh, no worries. I got you know, plenty of con- context, you know. Just tell us what you want to do. And she said, well, I'd like to go to work with children, etc." I said, well, um, yeah, I'd like to, I can give you this and this number and you can just call, phone this person up and they will help you. No, I don't like to go alone. I said, well, let me think about that. Um, so I came in, uh, in Demon and I entered in the room. And as I walked in the room and I, you know, when we were in worship, I felt so at home. And I, and I said to my wife the, the, the same night, I said, I think we have to go back. But I'm not sure if they're waiting on us, you know. So I sent out a text to my pastor's friends, the different ones that we know there in Joburg, in Durban, in Cape Town. And they all said, oh, please come back. So I came back there, visited my friend who has a church right in Joburg Central and um, has a lot of Zimbabweans in his church. And especially what's happening right now in Zimbabwe, right? But the Lord has been so faithful that he has all the nations in his church of Africa. And if you come into the worship, it's like here. You just come in and you think like, I'm closer to Jesus. Amen. And I think one thing, I think African worship leaders will be leading worship in heaven, not Bethel. (laughs) Okay, have that said, let's go. You just keep that out of the... (laughs) 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 Um, So... Uh, I, I, I'm hearing from Pastor Farai, he's sharing to us that uh, you guys been on 30 years on the road as a church, and, and the prayer is to have a bigger impact in this world, amen? And that's just powerful. Um, when a church starts off, um, it goes like through what we call life phases, uh, organizational phases, 
um, like, if, like when you grow up as a baby, you know, you start, learn to walk and then you grow older. Uh, so you've got all these different stages and the church also has these stages. They found it in research that churches do have developmental stages. And being 13 years on the road, it means that you are past the birthing expression and that you are in a place where you are growing and maturing in what God wants you to be. And usually it's a time where you start to identify your values, who you are as a church, what binds you together, what is your purpose. And um, it's something that it starts at the core of the leadership, but then it spreads out to your entire church community. Um, it's actually the wonderful phase because if you are pushing forward now, uh, you, you'll have increase. That's what actually studies show. But the downside is that if, the, if you are unsettled in this stage where you are right now um, and you're still struggling a little bit, it can either that you hit a ceiling or that you will go into decline. Yeah, but I believe that God is about to awaken his church even more stronger. Yeah. Amen. I believe there is a new wine coming and he's pouring it out already. I see it in Africa. I see it here in the Netherlands. But we have to think about new wine skins because the wine that we have cannot contain uh, in old skins, right? So I believe that God has an assignment for us, but in order to get to the assignment, we have to be aligned first. You have an alignment before the assignment. In order to construct, you need to go first to find your instruction. And it's very much important for us as church to understand that. Now, what I want to actually speak about is thinking through as a church, what does it mean to be church today? And um, obviously, uh, you know, we got, we got tons of research that we have that we just pop out and say, okay, now this is happening in the church, this is happening in the church. But I believe that the word of the Lord actually helps us to understand how we can live in a day and time like this, that um, we could grow as a church uh, into what God has called us to be. Amen? Amen. So if we want to turn to Romans chapter 12, which is, by the way, one of the most common preached pieces in the Bible. <laughs> Let's go there. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. <coughs> well, actually, start up with verse 11. Um, uh, chapter 11, verse 33. We'll go first to the oxology. Um, please forgive me if my English uh, fails me sometimes because my tiredness. Okay. <coughs> Uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 33, and then we read the whole chapter of 12. On the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or has been his counselor? Who have ever given to God that God should repay him? Well, and now this is the, actually the point for him and through him and to him are all things. Everybody say all things. All things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Now, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform in any, uh, uh, any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think yourself with sober judgment in accordance with sober um, so, excuse me, in accordance with the measure of your faith uh, that God has given you. Just as each one of us has one body with members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many from one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace um, given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him then prophesy in proportion of his faith. If it's in surfing, let him surf. If it's uh, teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. 
Be joyful in the hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who are persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice um, with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everybody. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it's written, it's mine to avenge, and I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil by good. Well, that's uh, pretty much, we can just close the Bible now and uh, teach on this for the next coming year, right? Because everything that you read here is quite a bit of uh, solid stuff. Um, you know, very interesting, Paul actually starts up in chapter 1, verse 11, and he outlines the basis of our faith. He actually describes the whole theology and the doctrine, doctra, do, the doctrine of our faith, excuse me, um, and, and what it means to be saved. And we got some beautiful gems in chapter 8, we got some beautiful gems in chapter 10, and they're all great. But in this chapter, number 12, Paul switches from theology to what I would say walkology. All right. Amen? All right. How do you live your faith out today? And he starts with the basis of our faith. And he says, God is full of love and he is good. And in light of his goodness and his love, give yourself as a living sacrifice so that we can live as Christians, newborn people in Christ in a way that is pleasing to the Lord, different than other people. It's a new way of life. And with other words, we no longer live by what we learn, but it starts to be practical in our lives every day. It's from faith to behavior. And this chapter actually speaks about how do we live out that faith. Now this chapter alone actually consists more assignments than in all of the New Testament. Um, which is kind of pretty heavy if you read them, you know? Uh, and, and actually speaks about a whole different way of living. Um, and so this chapter is by far a chapter of action. Um, it's how you relate to God. It's how you relate to one another. It's how you as one another reach and have an impact in your society. With other words, beliefs should always impact behavior. So the interesting thing about the scripture is, is actually Paul pl places this part of scripture between two, I would say, uh, um, uh, images of church. And he actually does that by the very first phrase. He says, brothers and sisters, which speaks about church being a family. Now, in the Old Testament, I mean the New Testament, in the, old, the early church, the concept of a family was actually um, something that they would definitely understand much better than we do today. Uh, family was um, uh, the, the brother and sister concept of church. Jesus uh, taking them in, into the family of the Father, him being the brother, Hebrews chapter 1 says, I am my, I'm, a, I'm worshiping my father amidst my brothers and sisters. So we're not actually worshiping for the Lord. He's actually standing right here in our midst, worshiping the father. And we're joining our brother in worshiping the Lord. Amen. And so he actually describes church as a family. Um, now, let's just hold on to the thought church as a family. The second thing Paul actually uh, describes the church with is the church being a body. Right? Body. Now, let's just focus a little bit on the body type, the body. Now, in our Western society, often when you are introduced, you basically have the question, so what do you do in life? So everything that you do determines who you really are. So if I can play piano, I might be the piano player, John, and you'll know me by playing the piano, right? Um, and so in our Western world, we put a lot of emphasis on what you can accomplish and what you can do. 
And lately in our churches today, even in our Assemblies of God churches, there's been a, a bit of a, a wind waving, the, uh, blowing, where, where the emphasis is all about your unique gift and unique talent and unique position in church, your unique anointing in church, and whether you are anointed as an apostle or appointed as a prophet or, you know, because it's, one is more better than the other, you know, kind of thing that's going on there, Right? Uh, but here, Paul actually doesn't speak about that. You see, he speaks about body being a church that is connected to one another. Have you ever seen a chopped off hand being alive? No. No, I mean, a chopped off hand, put it on the table, and so just start walking, and we just like cast out the demon right away. <laughs> Amen. Because it actually doesn't come alive. Have you ever seen a chopped off ear hearing something or a mouth seen speaking? In the same way, it speaks about this typology. It's, it's about being a body. And a body means that you can only function in your purpose if you are connected to one another. It speaks about connectivity instead of your individuality, individual gift. And so as a church in the Western world, we're emphasizing the gift as being more important. So what is your leadership gift? Oh, great. Um, are you, you can work with children. Uh, let's just, just do the children's work. Oh, you can, you can preach. So, you know, you might be a preacher. Or maybe you're a pastor. You know? And so we give credit to those who do and walk within their giftings. And actually, Paul's not stating that at all. He's actually saying the only way to be alive as a body, to function as a body in your unique gifting, means that you need to be connected to one another. Amen. The church being a body. Now, we live in a society that is humanistic in its worldview. You probably have noticed that in the Netherlands if you come from Africa, right? And uh, we have a focus, and this is actually why Paul, in, in chapter 11, verse um, 36, actually states this thing, and he says, everything is for the glory of God. Now, the ancient battle that's happening in this world today is that there's, there's a battle between the glory of God and the glory of men. And so in this world and society, even church actually think it becomes uh, not so much a body or a family. It, it, it is something that is about the men, about people. It's about humans and their needs and how we as a church should respond to the need of people. Now, what is actually then the most important thing? Is it people or God? Now, the picture of a body actually underlying when you just underline the gift, and you say, what's your ministry? What's your goal in life? What's your purpose? How you? If you just focus on that, that's actually glorifying the person instead of glorifying God. So Paul speaks about the church being a body. We all have unique gifts. Uh, we all have given by God a God-given talent. And the eye is not the same as the hand. And the hand cannot function without the feet. But the only way that we can function if we are connected, that makes the church unique. And this image of a body being uh, uh, um, uh, um, where Jesus is the head, um, being alive, representing God's kingdom in all spheres of life, is actually quite radical. In Colossians speaks, the, the Greek word of body is soma, which means all in all, which means that you and I, if we are church, then you are an extension of God's body in your sphere, where you're working, where you're studying, where you're living. If you go to the Aldi and buy some nice chips or, you know, some chicken to fry yourself, a nice Kentucky fried chicken at home. Amen? You are... God's body in that sphere of life. My son is part of God's body. He is an extension, a representative of God's body on the soccer field. But we don't act that way. Because we often emphasize our gift and the room that we need, instead of that we understanding that the only way that we can function is by being united with one another so that we can be his body in all spheres of life. Amen? All in all. So, Paul said, to him be the glory forever. And he says, for, from him and through him and to him are all things. Amen? It's absolutely all things. 
all things. So if you are a uh, salesman, it's for the glory of God. If you are driving your car and you're sitting again in the traffic jam, you can, you know, and somebody cuts you off and you just feel like you want to bless them with a ticket from the police or whatever, or raise one finger, remember then you are God's body at that moment, at that time. Ooh. <laughs> Amen. It's kind of radical there, eh? Okay. Now the second, so let's go back to the image of family. You see, in the image of being a church family, uh, a family of brothers and sisters, your uniqueness usually actually falls away. You ever come to a family meeting, and then, you know, because I'm part Indonesian, my family, go, my auntie goes, oh, you so look like your, your father's son, you know, and they just squeeze my, my ugh, and it just hurts. <laughs> it hurts. And they say, oh, you look like, and it's like, I don't, I'm not like my dad. No, you look like your dad. No, I'm not like my dad. You see? And so in our Western culture, what we do defines us so much. So, so we've been learned, you know, that we, we need to do something radical different than our dads and moms because that's who we are. So let's say if you are, uh, your father was a car uh, mechanic and you became a bank director and some say, oh, you look like your dad. And you feel like, oh, that's, a, you know, that's, 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 not a, that's not a compliment, <laughs> right? It's not. People feel like, whoa, you know, what, what are you saying? But, um, um, but the uniqueness in the family falls away. Uh, and so, so the interesting it is that actually Jesus using this concept of a church being a family, it actually says, hey, listen, no matter what you've done, no matter where you came from, no matter what you will accomplish or what you don't accomplish, there's always place for you because you are just my brother and my sister wow no matter what you do no matter what you accomplish how bad decisions you make how you know how stupid sometimes life is and how tough many things go you're still part of the family and difficult times what does a family do it sticks together it sticks together but you know what we've been brought up in this Dutch society thing, and you say, well, if I, it doesn't please me, I just go away. If it doesn't suit me, then I go away. If the children's worship team is not, you know, if there's no children's work, or the worship team is not, you know, on key or whatever, or if pastor's preaching too long, you know what, I just want to watch Studio Sport, at one o'clock watch Ajax. Then I'll go away. See, church has become more of a hotel than a family or a body. You see, in a hotel, you come in, you got your nice food, and you can sit in and settle, and, oh, I just want some chicken biryani, I just want to have Kentucky Fry, I want to get some potatoes, I want to get coal. You know, I can choose anything that I like. And then I go in, I got this wonderful room, it's all set up for me, wonderfully perfect, and I can tuck in, I can jump on the bed, I can do what I want, you know? I can even walk naked in my hotel room. Doesn't really bother anybody because it's my hotel room. I'm there. But you know what? At the end, you know, I don't feel any connection there because it's not really my home. So I just go home, pack my bags, and move again. And for many people today, church is kind of like a hotel. You come in <clears throat> and you think, wow. No, oh, yeah, that's a good worship team. I like those songs. You know, great, you know? And then comes this little Auntie Vaughn who sings like Aretha Franklin and too much ad-libs there and you kind of like get it on your nerves. And then, oh my goodness, she's leading worship too now, okay. And then, oh my goodness, she's in your small group. Oh boy, I don't like to be her in my best small group. And then, you know, and then you kind of like, you go, ah. And, 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 and suddenly this thing inside of you doesn't want to connect, you see? But that's not church. Church is not a hotel where you come in. When church becomes a hotel, then it's actually about pleasing the need of people. But when a church is a family or a body, the focus of a family is always about what we call growth, growing in maturity. Because a baby gets born and it grows up to become a full-grown adult so that you'll learn to stand on your own feet in life, right? to know how to live your life with Jesus, 
not be dependent. But when you grow up as a son and daughter in the house, what you'll do? First, you get feed, right? You get fed, excuse me. You get food, your nourishment, and you, you know, people take care of you. But as you grow up in the church, as you grow up in your family, at a certain point, roles switch, and you start to serve. Yeah. You start to help. You know, my son helps in the house now. He helps me clean the car. One day, I, you know, he will, will help me clean my car, and I will be sitting at home and just, you know, being old. No, just kidding. But you, you grow in your life, and it is becoming mature in what God called you to be. Standing on your own feet, learning to be in, not so much independent, we call it interdependent. It's learning that you have to make your own choices in life and don't fall up from pastor and say, Pastor, my, my, my son walked out of the house because I told him he, he couldn't watch Netflix and now we've got a problem and he's walked away. Can you just please go to my son? No, you should go to your son. Yeah. Yeah. Right? It's learning to be on your own feet. It's growing in maturity. That's the focus of a family. Now the focus of a body is, is that you, together in connectivity with one another, will start to function and blossom in the gifting that God has given to you. And whether that means that you are inside what we call church, people say, well, what's your unique gift? They say, well, uh, yeah, then, then you can work for the kingdom of God. And actually, what they're actually saying is, is you can work inside the church organization, but that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God goes beyond the church organization. Amen. It's your place in the marketplace. It's your place where you study. It's the place where you play soccer. That's where the kingdom of God is Amen. about. So when you are a bank director or receptionist, then you come into church, you get strengthened inside this body because you understand that through connectivity with one another, you get blessed, you get input, you grow, you mature to become a God wants you to be so that you can be the best banker, the best receptionist, the best neighbor who makes the best Buddha call even though you come from Africa. Yes. Somebody say amen. amen. I like Buddha call. <laughs> I don't. I don't. Actually, I don't. So, <laughs> so body family is different than hotel. You see, in a hotel, when things go tough, you just pack your bags and move on. You see, you don't have to walk things through with people like what's been speaking in this particular chapter. To learn to love one another, you don't have to just go away. You say, if people annoys me, I go. Right? And many churches are today like this. They are a church, a hotel. They look at how many children's work do we have. Okay, is it serving me? I want to come in to be blessed. I want to come in to receive a fresh word from the Lord. Sounds spiritual. Actually, it's very... Um, <laughs> pastor knows the word. It's selfish. It's focused on you. Because church is not something about receiving. Church is about giving. And not just finances, brothers and sisters. So the early church understood they were body and family. Now, church history tells that the concept of body and family was so strong to them. For example, when they would break the bread, you know, they had vividly on their, you know, they, they could, and they've seen Jesus' body being broken. So when they were breaking the bread, the concept that Jesus died for me and that he loved me even though I am a sinner and still sin, and that he would give his life all for me, when we break the bread, it's not about justification only. It's about understanding, hey, with the love that the Father has for me, in that same love, I want to love you. That's radical. Yeah. The way Jesus gave everything to me, I want to give that to you. Yeah. Now, the concept of family was even also strong. You know, in those days, if you would not be in the family business and you would turn or switch religion, it seemed just basically you'll die because there would be no income in your life. 
you, if you not suddenly change from culture, you basically would have no sustainable group around you that helps you when you grow older. So people who basically came to Christianity and were, most of them were disowned. They were Jews. Therefore, persecution was quite high in those times. And so suddenly they are left out with no guarantee for the future. So family became something very important to them. Because brothers and sisters, moms and dads take care of their family. Even Jesus at the end of his life at the cross said, to his mother, mother, this is your brother. This is your son, I'm oh, sorry, your son. Son, this is your mom. Making sure that, Harris, that his, his mother will be taken care of, family. That goes much more deeper. You see, the problem with families today is that we have so much issues in families that we find it hard in church to really speak about family. So often we project what we want from church comes from our core of how we are brought up in our families. Let me give you an example. Don't wanna make it black and white, but just to give you an idea. Let's say you are brought up in a family that's very abusive, verbally or you know, even physically. You have maybe a dad that has been very abusive and he just tries to, you know, overpowering. Now often people would then go to church would try to find a person, a church, that's either super um, organized and in control, you know, or they would do exactly the opposite. Find a church that doesn't dominate. You see, what you have been brought up with, what's in your life, that's what you project to what you want in church. So Paul actually says, you gotta be renewed in your thinking so that you can understand what is the will of God. And he paints the picture of this church, family, and body so that we could grow, so that we could do what God wants us to do, what's pleasing to him. But we all have our echoes of life, and we have to deal with those echoes in our lives so that God is glorified in our lives in the way we live as we live for him, in him, and through him. Amen? Now, Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, verse 20 and 26, that we would actually experience the same community and the same fellowship, the same uh, depth that he had with the Father, we as disciples would actually experience that too. The same love, the same unity, the same breadth and depth of community that he and the Father and the Holy Spirit had, that you and I would experience that too. Wow, that's kind of a prayer there. And I believe that to a certain point, we all want to be connected with one way or another, right? Uh, but what does it mean to be really connected in an interdependent way? Um, how, what do we take? What does it take to forge relationships that really matters? What it takes to learn to be family, not to be dependent or codependent on your pastor, but, but to learn to stand on your own feet in life and grow up as a Christian, you know, how it should be, you know, strong and mature in the Lord. What does it mean to grow? You see, superficiality and ruthlessness are diseases of our time. And sadly, those things are creeping in our church as well. Superficial relationships and fragile relationships, um, they are not only a, a, a sign of society, but basically also a sign of church. We just come in to our service and we go back again. I was teaching with a leadership team in South Africa, this church leadership team, and we did a simple inquiry. I said, how, how many people do you really feel that you belong in a church? And actually, not every, it wasn't a 100% score. And I asked the question, do you, do you feel seen? That wasn't even a 100% score. And I said, who do you feel sometimes lonely? And guess what, who were lonely in the church? Mostly it was elderly people. They feel lonely. They don't feel connected. And the young people, they're just on the Instagram. Oh, just got myself another Facebook flash, you know. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> it's true, right? 
You see, we go to church. We go to church. Um, We have a meeting here and there. We go for prayer time. We go for Bible study, da-da-da. But we live our lives very much in an individualistic way. And this is such in sharp contrast of the early church, the first Christians. The first Christians didn't show up on a prayer meeting after being told four or five times on Sunday service, please church, come and pray next Tuesday at eight o'clock. They didn't. They actually, they didn't go to church, they were the church. They were church. Last Sunday I was teaching this and the senior pastor ended up, okay guys, we just wanna close off church. And then his wife said, he didn't cut, <laughs> he didn't cut it, the thing, he didn't cut the preach. I said, well, closing off church doesn't exist. You are the church every second of the day. You, li- you breathe God's body. You are his body in this world. So we're not confined by the four walls of our gathering. But we are the church that breathes life into our society, Amen. So we don't go to church on Sundays, but we are the church. But few of us, we actually so, uh, you know, really experience that church life that the first Christians might have. Um, we go for a meeting here and there. We met up with pastor so-and-so. We try to connect with this group and friends here. We try to send them a WhatsApp if somebody's birthday, you know. And, and, but, but all of life is essential to you living your life alone. We actually don't share anything. We one another. But the Bible shows us a complete different picture. All of these commandments that are in chapter 12, it's totally different. Let me give you a few examples. Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens, amen? amen? That's a very spiritual assignment to us. So we carry each other's burden. Now somebody comes up to you <coughs> at the coffee break at the end of the service. And you know it's brother so-and-so. And you know brother so-and-so always complains. So you think, oh boy, that brother so-and-so, he really actually is coming right now to me. Oh Lord, maybe you're gonna go to sister there. So you try to get your coffee cup and shove up a little bit more so you get some room that he can go. But no, he comes to you. Because brother so-and-so wants to share his burden with you. So brother so-and-so comes there and he starts talking about his burden and you actually asked the wrong question. You, you said, how are you doing, brother? Wrong question, wrong question. Because now you know you're locked up for another 10 minutes with this guy. So he starts to share and offload all of his stuff. You're actually not interested because you just want to go watch you know, sports or whatever because you want to go out. And you're not, oh. And so this guy, so what you do, you just you think about through scriptures that you can just push in there. Oh yeah, not by might, not by power, but by God's spirit, says the Lord. There will be, breakthrough is another word that really helps. Oh, we're going to pray for breakthrough, sister. Let's do, I'm going to pray for breakthrough there. And then add prosperity. Oh man, that's a killer. It just really knocks them down, prosperity. And so I'll pray for you, brother. Bless you and you go. But what does it say here? Carry each other's burden. Ooh, and it actually says, not only carry each other, it, it just it, it speaks about not just a single moment there. It says, how do we want to carry each other's burden if you're not really understanding what really is the burden if you don't have time to hear that person's heart, right? And if you're not really willing to actually carry that burden too. Doesn't mean you have to solve the problems. That's not what the Bible says. But to walk with somebody through his pain, through the grief, through the hurt, showing to Jesus the direction where he can find his answer. Because he has to stand on his own feet, right? Now another thing says, the Bible says, Ephesians 4, 2 says, carry another one in love, you know. Carry one another in love. It's a great scripture. Love everybody. How do you want to really love one another if you are not really close enough with that person that he might irritate you and he might actually hurt you the bible says endure one another in love how do you want to endure that if you're not close enough if you're not close enough if you're not willingly to be in contact with that person it's easy to 
be in contact with that person when he is your, let's say, people group, when he has your color of skin, or if he likes the same food. That's easy. But especially across the generations, across the cultures, across the nations, that's difficult to really love one another like brothers and sisters. Now, Colossians says, forgive one another. How do you want to forgive one another if you're not involved in each other's life enough that in such a deep way that you can actually hurt somebody else? It's very easy to love one another if you just see them. Hey, I just see your brother. Wow, great, I saw you, you know, last Sunday, wonderful, you know, great worship, by the way. And you just walk out. But if I'm close with my brother, I walk with him, he's going to be irritated, he's going to be hurt by me, I'm going to let him down, right? But that's what the Bible says, being a body, being a family, to walk with one another, to love one another. And so there are many, many, many more assignments in this Bible of us. Care for one another. Live, for, live in harmony with one another. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Well, we pray, oh, just a one-minute prayer, and then we just give it a very spiritual meaning. We say, well, hey, if the, if the Holy Spirit will quicken it in my heart. <laughs> Hello. Who are you fooling? That's no commitment. If Jesus would do that, you know, picture this. Jesus would say, if the, if the Holy Spirit were quicken in my heart to pray for Pastor John. No, Jesus prays continually for me. Yeah. And he is my example. Shouldn't I do the same thing? Mm. Right? Yeah. Okay. So, <clears throat> it says, um, pray for, um, um, have the other uh, in high regard, you know, have another in high regard. Well, we got pastors in high regard, which is, you know, cool for us, but really, do I have in high regard for those who are cleaning in the church? Do I have high regard? Because there is no. You see, in a family, it doesn't really matter what you've done, what position you have, what responsibility you carry. Really, it doesn't. Because you're all brothers and sisters. You're equally important. But in a family, if it's healthy, we would say, hey, listen, you have a gift of a pastorship, being a pastor. We recognize your gift. And when you speak, we'll listen. Hey, you're a teacher. I recognize that gift in you. Teach me. Hey, you're an encourager. I recognize that gift in you. I need some encouragement. You set each other free in the gifting, and you relate out of relationship, not out of position. Amen? It's a different way of thinking. So what does it mean to be a community that encourage one another, be hospitable? That's another thing. The Bible says be hospitable. Now, if you come in Indonesian families, you'll have great food presented to you. You know, you can eat as much as you want. When I came to my first, my, my very first meeting with my Dutch family, they only had one cookie at center class. <laughs> that was a bit of awkward, you know. <coughs> but what does it mean to be hospitable? What does it mean to bring somebody, hey, I know you need to go to the airport. You know what? I can bring you down. What does it mean to say, hey, listen, I know you need some groceries. You're sick. I'm going to help you there. You know, being hospitable, being open and transparent. You see, Dutch people will always be amazed when you do something for them. You say, hey, brother, I see your garden is a little bit off. You, you know, let me help you with your garden. They're like, what? You working in my garden? <laughs> Maybe the African say, like, why would you just tile the whole thing? You're done, right? Dutch people like the gardens, you know. And if you help them, serving them, with the love that Jesus has in you for them. Wow, you're changing the world, eh? So, we gotta be honest. And that's it, that all of these one another's in the Bible actually don't have any meaning into our life if we're not willing to be committed to one another to live life together. It actually doesn't have squat meaning. 
The whole New Testament starts to live if you and I say, listen, I no longer am a solo Christian that just have my own connection with God. You know, I've got to get that anointing on my own and just walk it out and da-da-da, you know. I don't care what you say, Pastor. I don't care what you do because i got anointing. <laughs> what, 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 where are you? That's not church. That's mysticism. That's, that's stupid. Church is that we are part of this body. We're connected. I can't do things on my own. I maybe can. I may be gifted. Yeah, sure. But you know what? When we do it together, we reach further. It may take a little longer, but we get there. Amen. And so the Lord really speaks about this body. But if you're not willing to be connected with one another, and if you're not willing to live in community with one another, you see, community is not just living in one building. In one house, community is defined by the distance of our hearts to one another. Jesus was in close community with his Father and the Holy Spirit. So much, he was three in one. That's close. (laughs) So, but to be honest... We have to face that our society has taught us to believe, and even in church, that our lives are private, and that we can do anything what we want to do, what pleases us, and that we should actually do only that things that really enjoys us, that gives meaning to us, what's the right, how do you feel? That's what you need to do, right? That's the communication that the world has. But the Bible says, no, it's not for that. It's all for the glory of God. Your life is for the glory of God. And that means that our independence and our right to choose and our right to choose what we want is no longer important and actually comes second place or even third place to our involvement in this community that is called the body of Christ, is called his family is called his kingdom. Especially when this community does not give back to you maybe the things that you might need. You see, the biggest challenge we face today is our own interest and our own independence. And we love this song by the old guy who died years ago, and it goes, I did it my way, Frank Sinatra. And we've been all grown up with this stuff as long as I do it my way. And everybody else is second, then it's okay. But when you come into the kingdom of God, there is no my way. It's his way. Amen? And that brings us back (coughs) to Romans chapter 12 in the whole aspect of it. It says, you know, Jesus... When Jesus is speaking, it speaks so much more than just a Sunday service. When he's speaking about community, he speaks about developing new patterns and, and habits that are contrary to the culture that we are living in today. Yeah. Now, church is not a subculture. And you cannot be a, let's call it a Zimbabwean Christian. I cannot be a Dutch Christian. I cannot be a German Christian or an Indonesian Christian. I can only be Christian or non-Christian. So we got to break with some of our cultural traditions and practices, our cultural truths that we're holding on, that we think, oh, this is part of Christianity. It's not. This is Christianity. And every other else has to go. I was in Joburg. This pastor prophet there started to anoint people with um, um, <coughs> a spuitbus of onkruidvergiftiging, uh, vergiftiger, uh, uh, and just shut them in the, in the face. They pay four or five thousand rands, so they get anointed, and then he let them eat snakes. He let them eat, you know, really. And people go for it, and they think it's spiritual. Well, you think this is ridiculous, right? But you know what, in the Dutch churches today, they say, oh, but you know, pastor, I had this pastor friend of mine who was single, found a nice little lady. 
I said, the girl, and the elder went up to, her, to him and said, you know, Pastor, you have my permission. And the pastor goes like, what? You have my permission. If you feel the urge to have sex, go for it. You get married. Hello. Right? Because if it feels good, then it's good. No, it's not. Because what the Bible says, everything is all for the glory of God. But that is sometimes dying to ourselves. And it is difficult. You see, Dutch people, you know, when you say, let's go on a mission trip, they'll go, all right, just count the cost first. Okay, got 5,000 euros for the ticket. Five, blah, blah, blah. Oh, that's a lot of money because I have to do my school first because when I do my school, I don't have a good job. I don't have a good car. I don't, you know, I don't have And they go on and that's their culture. So we need the African people that say, hey, guys, there's faith. When you have a headache, don't get an aspirin. I can pray for you. Because we lost that faith. You want impact? Come on. Amen? Amen. <clears throat> now, final thought that I want to give you because I want to close up. You have so much preaching already today. Um, Romans 12 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be inly renewed by the renewing of your thinking. Now, the question is, why do we want to be connected to one another? What's, why would we do that? What's the benefit of it? Because when we look around, there are many churches that are breaking apart. I've been in one of those. It's the most painful thing when the church goes to split. Why would you be connected if you just study for four years here in, in Wageningen, you know? And then you just might want to go and have a job, a Deloitte and Touch, a nice, wonderful office building in Amsterdam, and you got your nice jacket and your nice Tesla and stuff like that. You know, why would you be connected? If you just only come in just to get, yeah, that's a good question. But if you understand that a community that comes together has only one purpose, and the answer to that question is quite simple and maybe too simplistic in ways, but it has such a profound meaning to us all. It's a complete transformation if you understand the answer to the question why. Yeah. It's simply this. It's Jesus. Yeah. Mm. The only reason why you and I want to be brothers and sisters is because of Jesus. Because I realize what he's done for me. I'm no longer in this, I'm not from this world, but I'm, well, I am in this world. But I don't belong to this world. I'm now part of my brothers and sisters. And together as we walk together and sharing our lives with one another, living our lives intentionally as a family and a body, not a hotel, but being together as a family. You know what happens? The world starts, hey, these guys, what's happening with them? Because the love that you have for one another will overflow. And people say they will be drawn. They will be drawn to us. A community that builds each other up is a community because of Jesus. It's through Jesus. It's for Jesus. And it's all in Jesus. And that's the only thing that connects you to this church. It's not doctrine. It's not a flashy PowerPoint. It's not a flashy worship team. It's not some great vision on the website. It's nothing else. Because if you strip everything away, and you would, you would not have this. You don't have pastors. You don't have deacons. You just strip everything to the core. What binds you together? Yeah. It's Jesus. Amen? It's Jesus. And because of Jesus, we're reaching out into this world. You know, the early Christians, they were called the way. They were called the way. Why? Because they were uh, planting these communities all across these different roads that went out, out of Jerusalem into Palestine and beyond into the Roman Empire because they were becoming these hubs where people who turned their lives to Jesus, who got converted, suddenly don't have any place to belong to. So they came into these hubs where they got trained, where they got equipped, but then would reach out into other parts of the world. So much that times when the plague came in and everybody left the village and nobody took care of the sick, the Christians as a community went in the village at risk of their own life because they knew who got their back, which was the Lord, right? Because they knew where they came from. 
and serve those who are sick. That's in just simple, simple living life together and sharing it out to one another made such a profound impact. The Celtic move in the Bible, uh, in, in the church history, actually in 30 years of time, reached all of Europe with this simple concept of living in community. The church community. Now, what does the word fellowship mean? That's also one definition of community. It's to fellow on the ship. To come on board. Right? It's not saying, hey, well, great, man. Bless you. Have a great trip. I'll do my own way. No, it's to jump in the same boat and live our lives. Some of us don't have families, biological families here. They might be in Africa. Some of them lived somewhere else in different cities. I don't believe the church should be a um, substitute for the biological family. I don't. Actually, I'm a strong believer that church should always comprise of families because the core of the mission is not given to the church per se. It's given to families and generations and young people and individuals, you know. But I believe as a church, you grow together so those who don't have a father, those who feel alone, feel at home. Right. Amen? Amen? Can we bow our heads? We want to close off. It's already time. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, I thank you that you want to give us a new, a fresh way of thinking about church. You've called us to realign back, Lord, not to an organization, not a denomination, but to become a body, to become a home where we can be family, not a hotel, not focused on what our needs are, but that we understand that as we gather together, it's about the glory of the Lord. We want to worship our Heavenly Father. We want to come to you. Oh, Lord, so often we pray, Lord, be welcome in this place. Lord, we welcome you in this place. Actually, it's a quite stupid thing to do because we're not welcoming you in our place. You have welcomed us in your place. And Father, forgive us if we have made religion or our faith just two hours a week in a meeting or just coming on Sunday for a fresh word and kind of like a gas station, fill up and move on. But Lord, we want you to be in our driver's seat. And Lord, you, you actually don't have one family car. No, you got a bus, Lord, that you call us into. <laughs> and you're the driver. And Lord, I pray, Lord, as a church, as we're looking to the next 13 years together, help us to grow as a church in this age of independence and in the age of humanistic thinking and uh, it's all about us as humans and what we feel that we become a community that's centered around one thing and it's our love for you because we understood how much you loved us and we understood how much that price was you paid for our lives thank you lord that you in a family we can grow so you don't ask perfect christians you don't ask perfect human beings you just ask honest and transparent and authentic people to be real so we can be real with one another so when we are feeling tempted or when we've fallen short or where we have missed the mark or whatever that this will be such a community of caring for one another uplifting one another and encouraging us to move on and to stand up again because of your grace Lord Jesus help us Lord, if we are so overwhelmed by baking seals and church programs and that we have forgotten what it means to be alive today as family, as a body, thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you, Lord, that you are doing a great work in this church. Lord, 13 years, there are high moments of a lot of people and people maybe have left. But I pray that this church would come to become one of the most profound communities, such a hub, people coming in, they experience life together in such a meaningful way 
that even though their jobs is in Amsterdam or Rotterdam, they would go back throughout the week because this is their family and this is their community. And not only that they become so full as themselves, but they become the body to reach us in all spheres of society that those who would watch and see the different elements of the body being represented in those would say, I want to go. I want to be part of your family. I want to be part of your home. Lord Jesus, we ask you to come. Help us, Lord, to be renewed in our thinking so that we grow in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Wow, wow, wow. Praise God.